Well, good morning again. Good to see you again this week. I know I mentioned last week, but perhaps some of you weren't here. But I mentioned what a special place that Grace Lutheran Church is in our lives, my wife Lucinda and I. And although we've never been a member of this church, you have so enveloped us with your with your love and your caring that it's a special place for us all the time, every time. From the time we first came to seminary back in uh, 1995, uh, some of you uh, personally encouraged us in ways that uh, I don't know what we would have done without some of your help. And uh, as we've uh, grown and as we've uh, uh, adopted uh, children, four teenagers at one time, bit of a challenge, Again, this church is the is the church that supported us so much, and so we're so, so thankful for that. I do have one request for you, then, one more way that you can uh, support our extended family right now. Our, our uh, nuclear family is doing well. The, the uh, adopted uh, sons and daughters are doing well marvelously well. Not that they don't still have challenges, but uh, they are really doing well. And uh, by far the most of them have a real solid faith in the Lord, which is great. But I have a a, a concern this morning for our extended family. We had a phone call just last night regarding my, excuse me, my wife's sister's grandson, who's only about four years old. Uh, visiting the other set of grandparents near uh, near Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, through the evening, I suppose they'd had a uh, a bonfire, perhaps, but there were still burning cinders in that fire pit when he lost his balance. Little four-year-old fell into that fire pit and into those burning cinders, and is uh, rushed to the hospital then in Milwaukee. And that we haven't heard any more news since then. My wife's sister, as my wife is, is a RN, and she believes that there were probably second-degree burns, maybe worse than that. And so I would ask uh, that you would pray uh, for little Milo Holt, Milo Holt uh, uh, from just across the river in Hudson right now, but in the Milwaukee hospital due to that injury. Uh, perhaps there's others that would have a prayer request this morning that we could pray for right now. Uh, along with Milo. Are there any that you'd want to bring up this morning? God is good, isn't he? I bet there's some unspoken ones, and so we'll pray a little broader that way too. Would you join me in prayer now and then? As you uh, recall my request throughout the week, we would really love to have your prayers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessed uh, blessing. (laughs) that it is to be able to come directly to you in prayer. Lord, you made that way open through the uh, death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can come directly to you, God the Father. And so we do. And we ask, Lord, that you would would watch over little Milo, that you would heal him. Lord, yes, in some miraculous way that would speak volumes about your love and your spirit and the truth of your word, to Milo's family. Oh Lord, uh, comfort them all. Uh, Heal him. We think too this morning of 
the unspoken uh, prayer requests that might be in our hearts, the needs that we have. And so, Lord, we pray that for each one here now that has that request of some kind for you to act, O Lord, that they would come boldly to the throne of grace, that they would pray silently to you for that need in their lives because we know, Lord, that as we place our faith in Jesus, that you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you for that and ask for that blessing now in Milo's life and in Janelle and Rod's life as grandparents as well. Jeff and Nitha, the parents, Lord, that you would, uh, you would bless them and uh, change their lives even through what you're going to do. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We heard as we read the scripture this morning uh, that uh, there is such a thing as spiritual gifts. I want to talk a little bit more this morning about one particular spiritual gift, the gift of discernment. I just mention broadly, though, the idea of spiritual gifting. You know that every good thing comes from God. We know that every talent that he's given us is a gift from God. Every ability that he's given us is a gift from God. But scripture teaches us that when we accept Jesus, when we become believers, God gives us a spiritual gift, something we had not had before, something that is unique to these that you heard read this morning, various spiritual giftings that each of us as believers can claim. Most of the time, we don't know what they are. If we did, we'd probably be a little bit too proud to really use them well. Usually, other people in our congregations can point them out. That person is really gifted at whatever gift it happens to be. Normally, the person themselves uh, don't see it. There are some special gift um, ways uh, that you can try to figure it out at least. There's some books and teachings and so on on spiritual gifts. But God knows what he's gifted you with. And others around you generally know what he's gifted you with. And so uh, be bold about using those gifts. Where should you use those gifts? You ought to use those gifts, first of all, in the local congregation, in your congregation. Because if you were to read on into those following verses that we just read this morning from 1 Corinthians, if you were to read on, you would see there's that beautiful story that Paul tells, that the Apostle Paul tells about how a f- uh, comparing spiritual gifts to the body, and the body, our bodies, to the body of Christ, he compares them that way, uses them as an illustration that way, and so he's comparing the body of our, our own physical body with spiritual gifting that, uh, and how we offer that to the body of Christ. And he says, an eye can't be a foot. And a foot can't be an elbow. And an elbow can't be a kneecap. Just as each part of your body is important to how you function in the body, so is the usage of your spiritual gift in the local body of Christ so that that body of Christ is fully equipped for the ministry that God is calling us to. And so if you are knowing that you're gifted in some way, you know, I did the dumbest thing. I'm pretty good at doing really dumb things, especially before I was a born-again believer. So back in my school district when I was teaching, uh, 
No, it wasn't in the school district. It was in the ALC church we were members of in Park River when we first got there. And after a while, I got elected to the church council. Don't know how, but I did. Anyway, so then at the first council meeting, by the way, I don't know, some of you probably didn't know, but I was a music teacher. I taught public school music for 23 years before God called me into the ministry. But at any rate... When we went to the first council meeting after every, all the new people had been elected, uh, the uh, president of the council decided that we should offer certain, uh, what did we call them, portfolios to certain members. And, of course, I was offered the portfolio to be a helper in the music ministry because I was a music teacher. Guess what I said? No. I do that all week long. Why would I want to do it on Sundays? Boy. You know? Dumb as a rope. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do what I did. Don't think of uh, when someone tells you you're gifted in some way and and somehow there would be some work you could do to build the body up either locally or, or larger. Don't say no. Say, yes, God has equipped me and he will see me through in it. I did discover in the book of James, I believe it is, that we should pray for wisdom. And I, trusting God, I'm not as dumb as I once was. But at any rate, please be open to the using of spiritual gifts in your local congregations and in the broader church as well. The one we're going to talk about today is the gift of discernment. And in fact, the scripture we're seeing, we're going to read, is uh, from Matthew 24. Most of you know what that is all about. I'm going to read most of it, and so you can remain, you can remain in your seats because it's a rather, it's a rather long por- portion of scripture, Matthew 24. You will see, I hope, by the end of the message, where that gift of discernment comes in and where, in fact, Jesus Christ himself is calling on believers to use that gift of discernment. So let's look to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Beginning in the first verse, and I'll read a long ways, and, and then we'll pray and go from there. Verse 24, I mean, chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his, when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. And if you've read this account in the other Gospels like Mark or Luke, one of them especially tells us that what they were talking about, the disciples were talking about, was the ornate building. They were talking about the temple itself and how gorgeous, how beautiful, how big it was. And uh, Jesus, it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away. It seems like that, when you study Greek, it seems like that word that talked about walking away has the idea of for the last time. Jesus had taught in the temple often. The temple was, it drew him because it was the temple to, the, to his father, to God. And, but this, this uh, verb here that is uh, translated walking away meant he had 
walked away for the last time. He knew the path that he was on to the cross and that this would be the last time. But his disciples, again, as they often did, were, were more, uh, a little more single-minded. And so they thought about the temple itself and how beautiful it was. And I'm going to pick up a little bit more on that story as we get deeper into the scripture. Here's what Jesus says in verse 2, speaking about the temple itself. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus predicted exactly what happened about 40 years later when the Romans came and completely obliterated that huge, beautiful temple. In fact, some historians say that it was obliterated so badly, so completely, that they can't even figure out exactly where the foundation was when they searched for it. The way that that was accomplished was uh, the Josephus, the, uh, the, the Jewish historian from that time, not a, not a believer in Jesus, but, but a historian, Josephus says that that temple had a gold top to it that could be seen for miles and it just, it just shone like the most beautiful piece of jewelry you could imagine and a drunken Roman soldier set fire to the temple. It burned with such ferocity that the gold melted and got into every piece of that temple below it and Titus, not the Bible book Titus, but the Roman soldier, a different one, the commander Titus, said, tear it apart, get every bit of gold that is there. And so in order to get all that gold, that temple in A.D. 70 was totally destroyed, just exactly what Jesus told his disciples 40 years or so earlier. First, the reason I bring that up so strongly is that we can just believe in the veracity, the truth of God's word. We can believe every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. And even for you today, every word of Jesus, every word in God's word, the Bible, is true and powerful and effective. You'll see why I mentioned that too in a minute. Verse 3 then. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, across from the temple, still seeing it perhaps, the disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That question, by the way, is, shows clearly that they finally believed that he is and was the Messiah. What, when will it happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. 
and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after this, the, the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Not at all like he came the first time, right? Humble. Only a few people knew about it. Some followed and showed up at the manger, but what a humble beginning. That's not how he's coming back. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky, this is verse 30, with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, or in that same way, you might say, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus says, will never pass away. Verse 36. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Therefore, in verse 42, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Heavenly Father, these are your words to us inspired by the Holy Spirit into your servant Matthew. 
and he has recorded them for our good. And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. So I have a question for you, and that question is, in this picture that Christ just painted, that Matthew uh, recorded and allows us to read, in this picture, where are we? Where are we as a church, as a nation? Where are we as an individual group, as a family, as people? Where are we in that picture? Really what I wanted to ask was, what time is it? What time is it? Somebody would have shouted out, well, about 9.20. Not what I meant. What I meant is, in this time frame, in this scheme that Jesus is talking about at the end of time, what time is it? Most of you have probably heard about uh, the uh, Jeopardy show that happened in early June. Jeopardy, the uh, TV show that uh, asks I uh, guess gives answer and you have to ask her. How does that one work? You have to ask it as a question? I don't know. But the, the category was the Bible. And the question was, Our Father, who art in heaven, blank is your name. The three well-educated, wonderful, scholarly Individuals who were competing, not a single one of those three knew that answer. Not one of them knew that the next or the missing word was hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. Why do I bring that up? I'm trying to get you to understand what time it is. That's an indication of the lack of biblical knowledge that many, many, many people in our day are now having because they aren't coming to church like they used to. A recent Barna, uh, you know, Barna is the guy that does all the research into churches and attendance and all things taught and not taught and all of that. And uh, then he provides it in one way or the other uh, as sort of uh, warnings. Barna said that of people who call themselves evangelicals in our country, that less than one-third of them attend church regularly. And so we wonder why there's a lack of a lack of knowledge, a lack of biblical understanding. Are there any other things that would help us to know what time it is? is do you see in the news or do you see in on uh, maybe the internet or anything else like that, do you see evil masquerading as good? Do you see people seeing good as if it were evil? Do you notice that at all in the newspapers or in the in on the TV? Friends, it is the time of the signs. It is the time of the signs, and I give credit to Pastor David Barnard. For that, some of you remember Pastor David. He pastored in Egan at that church for many years. Then, I think from there to Melbourne, Florida, back to Ohio in his later years now. But uh, Pastor Barnhart coined that phrase. 
We're always talking about signs of the times. He said, we are living in the time of the signs. So these very things that we read just a moment ago from Matthew 24, I believe we're beginning to see those in our day. Some of them, at least. The beginnings, at least. Did we not just read that we could describe these times that we're living in in as birth pains? I believe that's the time. I think that we are living in the time of the birth pains. The beginning of the trouble that we're going to see escalate as Jesus described it in his word. That we're living in the time of the signs and we are living in the time of the birth pains that Jesus talked about. Now, the last thing I want to do is try to tell women anything about birth pains. But I have had a nurse that I happen to be married to explain birth pains to me, and so I can give you a little bit of information about them. And if I'm wrong, you women can kind of help me along the way. But what I'm told is that birth pains start out spaced out quite a ways apart from each other, and the intensity at the beginning maybe isn't too intense. But as time goes on, after those birth pains have begun, I'm told that they get more intense and they get closer and closer together. And so those birth pains uh, that Jesus describes the troubles that are coming as birth pains would then uh, be a hint to us that in these days, we, if, if we see that intensification, And if we see that spread and if we see these things that are happening, these warnings that Christ has given us, if we see them happening more and more often with more and more intensity and closer and closer together, we can pretty sure tell what time it is, can't we? It is the time of the birth pains of the end. Now we can react to that news in a couple of different ways. And I suppose maybe we could compare that to uh, family life as well. I imagine sometimes we are less than excited about a birth that's going to happen, but that's extremely rare, isn't it? Most of the time, there is nothing better, especially for grandmas and grandpas, than a new baby. So birth pains in themselves can be very intense, very painful. But what comes next is the joy that's almost indescribable. Right, Grandpa? See? Thumbs up. You think Jesus had that in mind too? I certainly believe he did. Because... The promise here, the exciting part of this is that he is coming back. And he tells us later in that same scripture, as you finish on your own, if you'd like to read the rest of that chapter, he talks about no one knows, not even the fa- not even him, but the Father alone knows exactly when that's going to happen. But it's going to happen just like that temple completely obliterated, he predicted, In the same chapter, he's predicting his return. Oh, what a beautiful, wonderful, exciting time. What a wonderful time. 
Let me flip to the first to the uh, epistle, the letter, first letter of John, First John chapter four. If you're following along, uh, otherwise you can just wait till I find it here in my Bible. First John chapter four, verse one, speaking to all of us. Here's what it says, dear friends. That's heartwarming, isn't it? John, great apostle. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because, you know the verse? What? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that was in John's day. If many went out then, think of what we're dealing with, so to speak. Many false prophets. Motivated by the enemy. Spurred on by Satan. Using all of his wiles. What are some of those enemies? Tools of the enemy that he would use in this time to confuse us. Number one, fear. Number one, fear. And I can guarantee you, friends, that you have neighbors that aren't believers that don't know what time it is and they have no idea what's going on in the world and they are very afraid. They are very scared. And how you live your life in your neighborhood, how you... Treat people in the stores that you go to. It's all a witness. And as you build relationships and as you build friendships with those around you who maybe don't go to church and maybe don't have any idea what we're seeing around us right now, you might have a wonderful, powerful effect. The Holy Spirit might use you to influence those lives and draw them to himself. I have to move sideways so I can see the clock. All right, thank you. I don't want to go on too long. Fear, but Jesus says what? In this very same scripture, we've already read it. What did Jesus say? You will see these things happen, but what? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Why? Because God knows what's going on. God is allowing it for a reason. And the reason is, He's going to bring it to that joyful time after the birth pains. But we're living, I believe, in those birth pains. What else? Distraction. One of Satan's tools is just to distract believers by making them so busy. (laughs) You ever hear that much anymore? Oh, he's so busy. Oh, she's so busy. Yep, Satan would like us to be so busy that we don't have time to love on family members and friends and neighbors because we're so busy. He's distracting us from what God would have us to do. But the one I wanted to highlight is deception. And the reason I wanted to highlight deception and that gift of discernment is that some of you who have that gift need to speak out because you have discerned that this is a, what we're living in, this 
time of the birth pains is Satan trying to deceive as many people as he can. And it's exactly what Jesus said. And if you reread the scripture that I just read, that word came up four times. You know, when you read something in the Bible once, that's enough. Because the God, the God's word is truth, living truth. And so if you see something appear in scripture, even once, he's calling us to be obedient to that. Four times in that rather long chapter that I read just a few minutes ago, you would have heard the word deceive or deceived. Because that's Satan's greatest tool, is to deceive people, especially believers, into believing that these things that they're seeing around them that are truly counterfeit are real. They're try- he's trying, people are trying, are used by him used by that evil in order to deceive others into believing these false teachings. And I'm sorry to tell you, some of that false teaching comes out of organizations that claim to be churches. And it's baloney. It's false. And are you seeing anybody beginning to agree with some of those false notions? We need. Jesus calls us, four times in Matthew 24, Jesus calls us to use the gift of discernment. Now, if that isn't your own personal gift, then get around people who might have that. But we can all develop some portion of that. We can all use God's Word as a mirror. And if what is in God's Word isn't what's going on, there's something wrong something wrong. And so don't be deceived by what's seeming popular. Who can we trust? We can trust the Lord. We can trust His Word. We can trust the true Holy Spirit. What are God's promises to us in this scripture? One, Powerful. Jesus said it a couple of times in that scripture. I've told you already. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. He gives them the enough clues that we should know it's coming soon. And he says, see, now I've told you. Did you catch that verse about the vultures? I wanted to subtitle my message this morning, Don't Be a Vulture. But then I thought, no, I better not do that. But don't be a vulture. Better yet, don't be a carcass. Don't be a carcass. That verse about where the carcass is, there the vultures will gather, meaning, what does the vulture do? Does he hunt? Does that, does that vulture do any kind of work at all in order to have a meal? He does not, does he? He finds dead. He finds easy targets. He finds easy targets. And so those carcasses are pretty easy targets for the vultures to gather around. They didn't work for it and they chew it up. Don't be a carcass where those vultures, those evil spirits, that's what Jesus is teaching in that verse, 
Those false prophets didn't do anything. They didn't study God's word enough. They're only there to influence easy prey. Don't be easy prey. Know God's word. Know what it says. Know what time we're living in so that you are not deceived and you can be a light to others that are being deceived. God desires to use you and your gift. Maybe your gift is hospitality. Invite people over and talk about in general and then become more specific. You know, you can turn people off too sometimes if we're not careful. But this is important stuff. This is, we're already in the time of the birth pains. So what must be our response according to scripture? We'll skip ahead and it's pretty clear. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus continues to speak about what is going on and what is going to go on. What is What must be our response? To be ready, friends. The response we must say, it must, we must be ready. Verse 32 is an example. In Matthew 24, verse 32 says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things happening, you know that it is near, the time of his return. You know it. It's right at the door. So we need to be aware. We need to be discerning. And we need to be in God's word. And we need to be in church. So that we can encourage each other and challenge each other in these days that are not going to get much better, I don't think. If Jesus is right about the progress of what's going on, we're going to need each other more in the future than we ever probably have in the past. And you need that kind of encouragement. In verse 32, we just read it. Be ready. Know what's coming. He's told us ahead of time. Don't be deceived about it. Know what's going on. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. We're not supposed to go hide under a rock. We're not supposed to go flee to the mountains. That's for the Jewish people when the worst of the tribulation comes. And there's a reason for that too that we don't need to get into this morning. But our job is to feed the sheep. Who are the sheep? We are the sheep of Christ's pasture. We are to feed each other and not necessarily physical food, but spiritual food. Praying together. We asked you this morning if you'd pray for little Milo. That's part of it, isn't it? That's part of it. Praying for each other. Praying for our concerns. Praying for our needs. Not because of the power of prayer, but because of the power of God who answers those prayers. Answers. Feed my sheep. I already said be ready, but I'm saying it again. The the third thing we have to do is to be ready, but this time in a right relationship. 
in a right relationship. Verse 46, it will be good for that servant who the master finds him doing so when he returns. The master knows. Jesus Christ knows your heart better than you know your heart, better than I know my heart. One of the most concerning verses in Scripture, if you remember the the one, where this guy comes to Jesus and he says, you know, I've taught Sunday school, I've done this for you, I've done that for you, I've done this for you, and I've done that for you. What is there for me? And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now that's a sobering statement to hear. I never knew you. Friends, be ready means this, to be in a right relationship with God. How do you get in a right relationship with God? When he calls you, when you have that calling on your heart, you know you are a sinful person. You know that's the human nature that you battle. But you have unconfessed sin in your life. That's not a right relationship. Do you have to fix yourself first before you come to the Lord? Get all right in yourself? Uh, No. But what you do have to do is see yourself clearly. And say to yourself, yes, Lord, I agree. I am a sinner. But I promise to turn. I promise to turn from that sin. What's that called? That's called repentance. Does Jesus call for repentance in his word? He certainly does. Repentance means you're not just sorry for your sin, but you actually walk the other way. You've repented. You've turned away from that sin. Friends, this is a call for us to be ready because Jesus could come tomorrow or it could be many generations yet. We don't know for sure. Well, that was an interesting word because that was in the scripture too. I don't have time to get into that one today. But it does not mean the generation that lived when he said that. So it isn't like he missed that one. That's not what it's talking about. So the question I have to leave you with is this. Are you ready? No, I don't mean the one next to you or the one that's at home or any of you. I mean, are you ready? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have indeed told us what's going to happen before it happens so that there is no need for us to be fearful. There's no need for us to let distraction carry us away. There's no need for us to be deceived. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy upon us. Now, Lord, send your spirit and power into this place. Rain, R-A-I-N, rain your spirit down on us today to draw us to yourself. Help us, O Lord, to be willing to turn the other way, to walk away from our sin, to repent of them, trusting that you are able to sustain us. And in that, these promises 
of the new life for our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.